we hold in Shavit in Parakara Pasuk Chavzayin. Now we're going to see the beginning of the mistakes that Klai Yisrael made and the tragic consequences they led to. So the Pasuk says, Parakara Pasuk Chavzayin. So the name of Menashe didn't drive out the Knanim from Beishan, its surrounding cities, Vestanach is Menashe, which is Kimat, all the main cities of Menashe. It wasn't just one place. You see, in every major area, which is the cities of Menashe, Menashe didn't drive out the Kananim who lived there. And not only that, the Kananim wanted to live there. So it was clear up to them. They chose to live there and never left them alone. Even when Klai Yisrael was stronger than the Knanim were, and therefore they could have either destroyed them or at least expelled them, they didn't do that. They made them pay tax. They didn't drive them out. Which was in direct contradiction to Hashem's instruction um, to destroy the the, all the inhabitants of Erez Canaan. So it says they taxed them instead of, of kicking them out. Right. So that was Menashe. And we're going to see that another Vadashvat made the same mistake. Ephraim, Leherish, Saknani, Yeshev, Begazer, Yeshev, Aknani, Bekeb, Begazer. Similarly, Ephraim, they didn't trace out the Knani were living in a city called Gazer. Zvulun, Leherish, Yeshev, Akitran, Vizyesh, Nalol, Yeshev, Aknani, Bekeb, Vayulamas. They're also. Zvulun were more powerful than they were and could have theoretically driven them out, but they didn't. They just taxed them. And there were so many places that Asher didn't drive the Knanim out of, and here the Postlech says the opposite. It wasn't that the Knanim were living in the middle of Neosher, it was the other way around. Neosher were living in the middle of the Knanim. Because they didn't drive them out, and Asher were, it doesn't even say they, made, they put them in the mass. It seems there were so many Knanim in the lands of Asher that Asher was like the minority living amongst the Knanim. Naftali Lehorish is Yeshua Beshamesh, but Yeshua Vesanos. Yeshua Bekerva Knani Yeshua Aretz, the same thing there. Yeshua Beshamesh Vesanos Haulam Lamas. Now, in all these, all these Shvatim, it's always the same complaint that they didn't do what they were meant to do and destroy the Knanim. And even if they were able to, they just taxed them, they didn't attack them. And now we see the opposite, that the Knanim attacked the Jewish people. The Emorim forced the Bnei Don back into the mountains. They wouldn't let them go into the valley, which was part of the Nakhira. And they came to some kind of agreement. The Emori agreed to stay in these places, Harcheres, Ayaron, and Shalavim. Vatich Padyat Beis Yosef, Ayurlamas. Beis Yosef came to help Shevetan. And uh, together, they were able, they would have been able to conquer the Kanani, but they didn't do that. They just uh, contained them and again made them pay taxes. And they had their own borders even. So, the Emori did not destroy the Emori, the Kilo recognize some kind of you know like they talk about the Palestinian authorities like some kind of self-autonomy so the same idea over here the, 
Right. They have a place which was there. They had it even at its borders, the, the Gvul, and they left them alone there. And we have to ask the question. Before we see in the next paragraph, how Kaddish Baruch Hu sends the Navi to give clients to a Musa about this, but what like happens? Why was it that... Uh, why was it that uh, the Klai Yisrael didn't obey HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Why did they leave the Knanim alone? Did they have a leader at this time? No, they didn't. That was part of the problem. Now, we saw after Yeshua died, there was another question we still have to explain, but Hashem will get to the next parak. And that is, how come there was no central leadership in the Jewish people? It became something which each Shevet took care of itself. And the Nabi is going to point this out a number of times in Sefer Sheftim. Melech ain't be Israel. There was no king at that stage. There was no central leadership. But even each Shevet, each of them was still at its nasi, and they were still listening to Hashem, obeying the terror. So why, why didn't they follow the Akash Baruch's instruction to drive out the Knanim or destroy them? And we see it wasn't in one place, there were many places. How many years have they been in Israel now? So from when Yeshua died until we're talking, Yeshua brought them into Israel. There was 14 years of the conquest and the division, and then Yeshua died a few years after that. It seems like. So we're talking about probably 20 years approximately they came to Israel. Well, you confused the thing. Yeah, but uh, where did it start going wrong? You know, if they had the instruction, where did they, where did they uh, begin to disobey it? You would have thought the people, the division was made, but the, the people are not getting their failure because it's in, in enemy hands. Right. It's yeah. in there being an uproar and 100%. an excitement of people that we want our land. Because Let's get it. And you're quite right. That just adds to the question. In other words, they had every incentive to chase the Knanim out. Were they... The first point we already spoke at the beginning, and that is, especially after Yeshua died, Kaisha were afraid to go to battle at the beginning, and that's why they came to ask Hashem, what should we do? But Hashem already answered them at the beginning of the Sefer, and he said, Yehuda should go, Hashem will make him successful. And that would restore the fear that the Knanim felt for the Jewish people, even without Yeshua. And that was meant to be a cue for the other Shvatim to do the same thing. Um, Yehuda pretty much listened. We find that the, the exception that where Yehuda didn't attack was the Yeshvah Emek because they had, the process that we saw had before, they had the iron chariots, right, which was a mistake. It was, it was the same mistake. There's a... There's a Nukudah here which was a repetition a little bit of the Chet of the Miraglim. The Miraglim came into Eretz Yisrael. The Miraglim saw the people who lived in Eretz Yisrael, and the Miraglim were afraid, and they came back and made the whole Klai Yisrael afraid. And because of that, it snowballed into the fact that Klai Yisrael felt, we can't take Eretz Yisrael, it's too, they're too strong for us, we aren't able to, we aren't able to stand up to them. And the critical point that they forgot, which was Hashem's title on them, is, why did you think you're the ones fighting for Eretz Yisrael? And why are you getting scared? Because you feel the Knanim is stronger than you. And then the Hashem is involved. And if that's the case, they're definitely not stronger than he is. And that was meant to have been the mindset which, carried, which was meant to continue guiding them in safety. And that is, it's true. Again, the Knanim were a formidable army. They were, they were strong people. And uh, if it was a combat between Klai Yisrael and Knanim, right, the, the Knanim probably would have had the upper hand. Right? The... But Klai Yisrael's strength in battle lies in the fact that Hashem is fighting for them. Now the question is, at what stage did Klai Yisrael stop feeling that sense of 
uh, security, if you're going to call it that, or confidence that Hashem was fighting for them. Because as long as Yeshua was alive, Hashem had promised him that he'd be successful, right? So the very beginning of Seth Yeshua, no man will stand up to you. Everywhere you go, everyone will be afraid of you. So as long as Yeshua was alive, they were relying on the schos of Yeshua or the leadership of Yeshua, whatever it would have been. Um, afterwards, there's also a second mile, and that is the mile of Klai Yisrael together as a united force. And uh, when it became that the Shvatim didn't fight as a united force, that like we said, each one uh, dealt with their internal issues on their own. So a lot of the times, we'll see that there was an issue that they were afraid to fight the Knaidim. You see, they had uh, iron chariots, or they had uh, strength in numbers, or whatever it was going, they had, that the Knaidim had. And again, it, it, it's, on the one hand, we understand where the mistakes are coming from, on the other hand, that was exactly the problem. They were meant to be able to rely on Hashem and go to war, with the, with the guarantee of Hashem's victory, even if physically they weren't strong enough. Why weren't the battles? Why weren't they Oh, so, now that, so that brings the next question. Now, before we get to that, let's just finish this point. You're going to see that this is the underlying theme of the whole Sefer Shevetim. We'll see, as you go through the Sefer, that every Shevet in turn who came up and uh, was used as the means to save Klai Yisrael, always the battles of Sefer Shevetim was something which didn't, which defied the odds. We'll never find a single time in Sefer Shavtim where the Jewish people had actually had an advantage over the enemy. And we're going to see time for time, whether it was Midian, or it was Moab, or it was uh, the Plishtim, or whichever other four, I mean, whichever forces fight them throughout Sefer Shavtim, the Jewish people were always vastly outnumbered. Outnumbered, and in a lot of places, uh, they didn't have the weapons either. And uh, the, the message of each Shavit in turn You'll see each one had a slightly different uh, angle on it, but the, the general theme of every every shofar in turn was, it's not you, it's Hashem. And if that's the case, Sakhalish Baruch can find a few people, I can find a lot of people, which is exactly the words Hashem told Gidon. As we'll see later on, this was the underlying theme in Shoftim, which was the underlying mistake in Shoftim. The underlying mistake in Shoftim was if they started with that knowledge from the beginning, and that was Sakhalish Baruch's fighting, not us. So we don't have to be scared to go to war against a superior or better trained or better equipped army because anyway it's not them. Now, that's not a, I agree, that's not easy for people to do. To just march to battle against a very well-armed and seemingly superior army needs a certain amount of bitachon, 100%, which kenire, that was like Thais, were too scared to fight. But the problem is, and this is the second point, which we see in, the, in it's very true in psychology, but we see this in the Pasuk, it's an amazing thing. And that is, when a person feels intimidated by an enemy, even if they're actually stronger than the enemy, they'll carry on feeling intimidated. And when a person has a certain mindset that they're stronger than us, they'll continue to feel like that, even if it's not true. Right? We see this in the Pasuk. It says by the Miragdim, it says, when we saw the size of the people in Canaan, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's how they looked at us also. But it started off with, we felt like that. We thought we were like grasshoppers. And in matter they felt like that. Now, I don't know how they knew what they kind of felt about them. I don't know if they spoke the language. But once they decided that compared to them, we were just grasshoppers, we were insignificant. So they predict, projected that feeling onto the Knaanim also. And that's how they looked at us. And that's what we see here also. Knaanim started off afraid of the Knaanim. And even though in most cases, they were actually stronger. And they managed to make them pay them, like we see, they made them pay them taxes. Right, so they had the upper hand, they had a certain advantage, 
But nevertheless, once they had this thing, they were too scared to fight the Kanim, and they could have, but they didn't. And that was the that was going to be part of the time that the, that the Navi we're going to see has in them. Um, so that's the first point. That's the first point. Now, the other question is, why didn't the Shvatim work together? Because even if one Shavit individually, Naftali fighting the people in like the pockets of resistance in Naftali, and Asher fighting the pockets of resistance in Asher and each other Shavit, but may, may, now you've divided Klaiyosol's collective strength into 12. But however strong the collective Jewish army was, if you're able one Shavit fighting at a time, you've minimized tremendously the, the strength of the army. So why didn't they? And you see the once or twice that they did go together were much more powerful. For example, we just read, Shevet Don were being, were being attacked by the Emori who pushed it back into the mountains. And when Yosef, their neighbors, came to help them, so it says now they were able to control and even uh, force the enemies to pay them taxes. So there is a combined force of the whole Jewish people together. You have to say the same for the Kanan. They could also have united. The, so in the time of Yosef, they did. It didn't help them because Hashem took over and destroyed them all together. We saw the five kings all got together once or twice of a group attacks like that. After that, there wasn't a king. There wasn't a, there wasn't any organizing army to. That's what happened to the and exactly happened to Israel also. Exactly. Exactly what I'm going to say. What happened to the Shvatim also, and that's the lack of leadership. Exactly the same problem, right? And that is when if had there been a central leader of Kai Israel, so Ada, there would have been somebody to compel the Shvatim to work together. But when there wasn't that, and each Shevet was so to speak doing their own thing. So then there wasn't uh, someone on top who could bring all the Shvatim and galvanize into action. Could it also be because they didn't uh, distribute the horses so that Canaan will fight them? Meaning if they go to one spot, Canaan... That could also be. I mean, we could have worked out a plan maybe to have a, you know, a defense army, an attacking army. But yeah, that's what happened. It's interesting. The first time we find again somebody who is able to gather the whole class for a campaign in Shalomelech. He was a king, and when uh, the king of Ammon, we'll see the Meshler and Shmuel, fought against Yavish Gilad, so that was, this was the first act of Shal as the king. He sent messengers to hold Klai Shal, we're gathering as an army. And that was the first time, since the time of Yeshua, that Klai Shal became a united army and they went to fight. And it was successful. Pinchas was a king god, he wasn't the leader, like we're going to see. Now, even. The central leadership, the first possible by Alu B'nai Israel Hashem. Right. Sounds like everyone's asking Hashem. Everyone's asking Hashem. When did they come together to ask Hashem? Well, after after Yeshua died. So there wasn't that point like there was some... A, there was a, they asked together, but there wasn't Hashem. They didn't <coughs> point the leader. He just said, Yeshua, you should go first. So Yehuda went first. But they didn't join him. Yehuda fought his battle, and Yosef fought their battle, and everyone fought their thing. And even the once or twice, you're going to see in Shoftim, when there was some kind of combination of different tribes to work together, it was never more than three or four. It was uh, Naftali and uh, Ephraim and whatever it is uh, against Israel. Right. It wasn't, there was no, and, and then, then there was infighting within the Shvatim, like who wasn't part of it, who wasn't, was, was involved, wasn't involved, like you got to see, Gideon and Yiftach, and a number of times it's happened the same thing. Right? And it was always, all comes back to the same point. But there wasn't a leader. If had there been a leader, the whole class would have obeyed, and he would have been able to put everyone together, and... And we made a direct them as a as one one force as opposed to lots of uh, indif- independent individual forces. And that comes back to the Eka question. We asked this before, and we we still not ready for the answer. We'll see it. It's still coming in the next paragraph. And that is why why, was, why wasn't there a leader? What happened? Like we saw, Hashem promised Moshe that Lo Yadas Hashem Katsayin Shayin Emroy. When Moshe asked that he should be replaced, 
I think we should find someone to stand over the Jewish people. Uh, that the flock of Hashem should never be leaderless, like, she- like flocks without a shepherd. And Hashem agreed to that. So what happened here at the time of Shoftim, that Ki'ilu, we left leaderless. And that was really the root of all the problems that are going to happen next. Okay, so we'll still see that. But then before that, let's see what the, the rebuke of Hadish Baruch gives them. And it says, Vayam Malach Hashem. What happens? Hashem sends a Navi to rebuke them. Vayam Malach Hashem in a Gilgal, a Rabbaichim. Now, the Malach, it doesn't mean a Malach as an angel. He already, the Targum explains it's a Navi. A navi. was sent from, from Gilgal, a Rabbaichim. We're going to see the place where he came to later on called Baichim. Um, the Midrash tells us that the Malach referred to was Pinchas, which is something we're also going to learn about. Pinchas plays a very interesting, so to speak, behind-the-scenes role through most of Sefer Shopti. So we have to explain exactly what he was doing and what he wasn't doing. But anyway, so he was chosen, according to the Midrash, as the Navi who came to rebuke La Israel. And he gives them the following message. Hashem says to the Jewish people, Ale Eschem Mitzrayim, I brought you out of Mitzrayim, I brought him to the land, I promised to your fathers, and I said, I'm not going to annul my covenant with you forever. And, your job is not to make a covenant, not to sign a treaty with the inhabitants of the land. Not only that, destroy the Mizbeichos, this is just the uh, abbreviation of the full passing of the Torah. You must break the statues, you must destroy the Avedazari, you must kill all of them. You didn't listen to me. And specifically the fact that they made a treaty, like we saw, with, uh, with the Amari. Look what you've done. And therefore, Hashem says, now I'm changing track. The Gamma Mighty, therefore I'm saying, I'm also going to say, I'm not going to drive them out from you anymore. In other words, you were meant to destroy them, Hashem would have been to help you. Now Hashem says, I'm not going to do that. They're going to be like a thorn in your sides. And their gods are going to be a stumbling block for you. They're going to uh, entice you as well. So that was the message of the Navi. How do Christ react to that? When the Malachs of Hashem said these words, Elkob and Israel, to the whole Jewish people, they all cried. And they all cried. And they all cried. They called that the place where they had gathered and they had heard the words of the Malach, which means the Navi, Baichim, the place of crying. They broke up on us. And now, this story, this begs explanation what's going on? What's going on? If Klaus was doing Tshuva, so why didn't they do Tshuva? What happened? The Navi rebukes him. The Navi says, basically, you were meant to destroy the guy. You didn't. Hashem said, no, I'm not going to help you anymore. And Klaus will cry about it, and that's the end of the story. Was crying Tshuva? If it was, where's the result? What would happen next? So we see here, he said, and it's something important. Again, it goes back to the explanation we really gave today to understand the whole concept of Sefer Shoftim. But there's an important principle. And that is, what was Hashem expecting them to do? And that's always the case. That's always the case. When Hashem sends in a word, it's not fatalistic. It's not meant to be that this is, a, just, this is the end of the world. Right? And there's nothing you can do about it. 
when Hashem sends a nevuah, the understanding is meant to be that He's expecting something, right? Even the most dying of us, right? Uh, even the most dying of us, Chazal the Gemara, that a, a prophecy which is lera is not guaranteed it has to happen. If I will it won't happen. And there's no better example than this than the story of Chaskiyah Ahmed, which we've spoken about lots, lots of times. He was sick, and the Novi comes to him and says, <coughs> He says, you're going to die from this illness. And Chaskiyah says, what did I do wrong? And the Novi says, he's never sure. Fine. So after a give and take about it, Chaskiyah says, all right, I'm going to be sure. He tells the Novi, give me your daughter, I'm going to get married right now. And the Novi looks at him and says, let's go be from Hashem, you're dying. Right? What do you, what do you think you're going to get married right now? And Chizkiyahu, again, talking to a Novi, but he's uncharacteristically sharp. And he tells the Novi, Ben Amoit, If you finish your Nebuah, then get out of here. Right? In other words, you're allowed to give me a Nebuah, I don't want to hear another word from you. Get out. Why? That there's no such thing as Hashem telling you the Nebuah that you can't do anything about. But the point of telling people the Nebuah is that they can do something about it. If that's the case, if, even if the Nebuah is as blunt and direct as you're about to die. Right? That means Hashem says, if you don't change, you're about to die, and I'm willing to change. And that's exactly what happened. Chizkiyahu davens to Hashem, and Yeshiyahu hasn't even left the palace yet. He's still on his way out, having been kicked out of the room. He's still on his way out to the palace. Hashem comes to him and says, go over to Chizkiyahu, and tell him, I've added another 15 years to your life. So, uh, from a few minutes before, you're about to die, right? It can change to you have another 15 years. Now that's what you said in the book. Even if a Nevo sounds fatalistic, this is what's going to happen, this is going to be the punishment. The understanding of the Nevo always is that's going to be the case if you don't change. Based on the way you are right now, that's what's going to happen. And the reason Hashem tells us this to us is not just to be in a harboring of bad news. The reason Hashem tells us to us is because, and therefore, if you, you have the opportunity to change. And therefore, if that's the case, how are Klai Yisrael meant to take the Nebuah here? When Hashem tells him Nebuah, right, you, you guys messed up. You didn't throw out the Klai Yisrael. You promised you would. This wasn't the deal. That's it. I'm not going to help you anymore. What are they meant to mean? What they should have done is taken the message and said, all right, we're going to change. We're going to go and fight the Klai Yisrael. What do they do? They cry. That's it. End of story. Why? So here we see the, the oymek of the mistake. And here we see not only that, what, what would have been the tukun had they done it. Again, we said, the starting point of the mistake is that they were afraid to fight. Alright? Definitely without the get, they didn't feel confident enough by Hashem helping them. And now what does Hashem do? Hashem said, I'm not going to help them. Now that puts them in, in direct confrontation with the, with the Nisayan. The Nisayan was, are you, are, are you going to gather the courage to go and fight? Right? Or not. And until now, when they maybe could have relied on Hashem, but they weren't convinced, so they didn't do it. So now, Kavachev, now Hashem tells them, I'm not going to help you. So now, are they going to be strong enough to say, Behold, we have to do what you have to do? And obviously, had they done that, Hashem would have helped them. Right? That, that was the challenge. But because he didn't, Hashem gave you Nebuah But like every Nebuah and if you're going to fix it up, then something's going to change. But Kavachev didn't do that. If they were afraid to fight before that, then now that they heard Hashem say to them that you know, I'm not going to help you, so they give up. They cry. It's terrible. That's it. We lost. But they don't even try to change it. 
And that's why I became Baikim. It was the only, the only mailer of this uh, Nevo was just causing to cry. It didn't have any effect, which was meant to do. The point of a Nevo is meant to be that this is a warning. And even uh, with the exception of two Nevo's, where, where it says, Lachay Nishpati, Hashem makes a Shvah, which means that's not changeable. The one was the Nevo to Moshe Rabbeinu, which is promised to me, you're not going to come to us as well. So even, even though Moshe also took that with the regular rule of Nevo, that I'm going to try and change it, Hashem told the Adkar. A Nevo with a Shvah can't be changed. That was the one. And the other one is to base Eli. And that they're going to, that they'll be killed and they'll lose in his back and then there's no kapara for them. Also, was, and after Maragam, you're right. That was another one. And that was those three times. You have the three times when Hashem made a shvur and that, that wasn't changeable. But any other time when Hashem gave a, like the Gemara says, and the Vosha, any more shvur is changeable. And if that's the case, what was meant to happen was totally meant to change. And when they meant to change, this would have been the kapara. If until now what they did wrong was they didn't stand up to fight because they were scared and they weren't convinced of Hashem helping them, then the kapara for that would have been, but when Hashem tells you he's not going to help you, stand up and fight. The mindset Hashem would have helped. But they had to show the first step, that the courage of this is what we have to do, we'll do it, even without being with the guarantee of Hashem's help. And then that would have been the way to attack him. The mindset didn't do that. All they did is they cried and gave up, basically. What uh, point the there's nothing to do. There was nothing to do. That, that was the punishment. That was the punishment. They had been warned before that. Well, this time was the punishment. Hashem said, this is the first final. This is the punishment. Again, and each time they tried to change it, it didn't work. By the miracle, they also tried. Next month, next month, here, we're going. We're on our way. We're on our way into Israel. And Moshe is not going to work. Hashem made a shvur this time. There's nothing to do. But normally, that's what the person's meant to do. Normally, in a word for with punishment, the way a person's meant to react in a word with punishment is, okay, Hashem tell me to the Shiva. I mean, one of the, the, one of the best examples is the Gemara. When the story of Elisha bin Abu Acher, right? So, Rimaya asked him, why don't you do Shiva? And he says, because Shemati, Shiva b'ayim shalavim chutz me'acher. Everyone can come back, not Acher. And the Mufash Master, what is the point of that? And the answer was, that was lacking a word. It was a basco, but it was like a nevur. Which means, what Achish should have done was, done shiva. In the matter of your honor, Hashem is not going to accept you back. But if you try hard enough, you can change that. It's like any nevur in the rock. But he didn't. He didn't say anything. He gave up. He said, okay, if that's the case, they don't want me. I'm not, coming. I'm not trying. And so happened here also. At this point, Kalishul gave up. Instead of using the opportunity, so well, we have to try harder. Right? We, 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 we're going to get punished if we don't. All it is they cried, and it, was a, it wasn't. A, it was a crying of surrender. So that's it. So we stuck. We have a goyim and amit, and then we can do about it. And that's why from here we're going to see everything goes downhill. Right? Berega, they lost the opportunity to find, to take the message and change, and instead of that, they just resigned themselves to the fates. So now here starts the tragic crash, if you want, of Klaistrov from where they were, and to, at the beginning of Shavuot, to the level they sank to.